Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you missed our conversation with Jim Nagy, he's the senior bowl director. He is a former NFL scout. He worked for the Chiefs. He now works for ESPN doing some NFL draft coverage for them. Some highlights from our conversations. He thought Juan Thornhill, the Chiefs' second-round pick at safety, had a first-round potential. He was surprised Colin Saunders lasted until round three. He had a round two grade on him, and he believes Frank Clark would have been the best defensive end in the 2019 class. I would highly recommend going to the 610sports.com podcast page and finding that because that conversation with Jim Nagy, if you're a Chiefs fan, was well worth your time. Coming up at 1130, Matthew Caller of 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis. He's going to tell me what it would take for the Chiefs to trade for cornerbacks Trey Waynes and or Xavier Rhodes. So we will talk with him coming up in about 30 minutes. In 15 minutes, there's a surprising amount of buzz for this Chiefs rookie class, and it feels different than it has at any point over the last five to ten years other than when they had Patrick Mahomes. Why is that? We'll discuss that coming up in 15 minutes. But right now, the Kansas City Royals have quietly developed a core. They've quietly developed a core that they can build around not just for 2019, but for 2020 and beyond, Dayton Moore was asked about that yesterday on Fesco in the morning. Here's what he, here's what he had to say. I was asked this question the other day um, by uh, one of our scouts uh, about what, what do you think we need to do for 2020? And my immediate response was, bring back this exact same team. Let them continue to, to get better together. They're believing in each other. I mean, what Hunter Dozier's doing is really exciting. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn, although it's, he's been a little inconsistent, I mean, this guy works every day. Uh, he hits the ball really hard. He had a, a really impactful uh, road trip for us, uh, starting to break out a little bit. Uh, but you got to give it time and, and let these guys continue to, to grow together. Jorge Soler, although his, his uh, pitch recognition wasn't what we wanted it to be early on, uh, certainly it was. I thought it was really good last year, very encouraging. He, he didn't pick up where he left off last year starting off. But the last 10 days to two weeks, he's done a much better job, and he's on pace to, to, to drive in a lot of runs. And so uh, there's a lot of very encouraging things um, about our team right now. And like I said, I'm just looking forward to continue to watch him develop and grow. So that was Dayton Moore yesterday on Fesco in the morning when he was asked about the core for 2020 and beyond. I think there's a name that it's time that we all add to the list. I think Hunter Dozier. Hunter Dozier is now no longer just a cute story. He's no longer what Whit Merrifield when he first came up. He's now Whit Merrifield. Like we, I think it's time that we, we adjust the way that we have talked about Hunter Dozier. He was a cool story early in the season. Everybody was excited. It was cool. It was interesting. It was crazy. It was, man, can you believe what this guy's doing? This is, it's going to be fun while it lasts, but there's no way that this lasts. No, Hunter Dozier is going to be real. This is real. Hunter Dozier is not going to be an MVP candidate for the entire season, which is what he is right now. But Hunter Dozier right now is a piece that the Royals should be planning to build around. It's time to write his name along with guys like Whit Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi and Salvador Perez and Brad Keller. These are guys now, I think you have five core pieces moving forward that you can write and pin for 2020 and beyond. Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi, Salvador Perez, 
Brad Keller. I don't know if Brad Keller is going to be the number one that I was hopeful of. He's taken a step back this year compared to where he was last year. But I think Brad Keller is a part of the rotation when this team's good again. And Hunter Dozier is the fifth name that we can add to that list. And if you're a Royals fan in 2019, you came into the year knowing and fully acknowledging that this year is not going to be about the wins and losses. And right now, we are just about a quarter of the way into the year. Today will be the 40th game of the season. They're going to be either 14 and 26 or 15 and 25. It's not a good record. We all understand that. We all comprehend that. You don't have to be a mathematician to know that that's not good. But the Royal season was all about this. It was about finding a guy that was going to be a part of the future that you weren't expecting to be a part of the future when you came into the season. With Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi, we all thought that they were going to be parts of the future. And right now, they're both on pace for 20 doubles, 20 triples, 20 home runs, and 20 steals. That combination, it's been done four times in the history of baseball. The Royals have two guys on pace to do it this year. Four guys in all of baseball have ever done that. The Royals have two players on pace to do it this year. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say what Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi, they're part of your future. We knew that coming into the year. They've just confirmed everything we thought coming into the season at this point in the year. But Hunter Dozier is adding his name to the list. Hunter Dozier is hitting the hell out of the ball. He's hitting the ball in the air. He's hitting it far. He's hitting homers. He's hitting doubles. He's hitting triples. He's getting on base at a really high clip. He is not swinging at bad pitches, which was the biggest issue for Hunter Dozier coming into this year. He's not striking out so far this year. He has 30 strikeouts in 35 games. If I could give you one stat, one stat that would encompass what Hunter Dozier has become this year, that would be it. He's on pace to strike out a total of 125 games in 2019. Do you know how hard that is in baseball today? I mean, I'm going to look this up. I don't know the answer to this question. I wonder what Jorge Soler is on pace for. I bet you it's 220. He's on pace for 220 strikeouts this year. 220 strikeouts. Hunter Dozier's on pace for 100 fewer strikeouts this year than Jorge Soler. That's the difference in what's changed for Hunter Dozier this year. He is now a guy that's waiting for his pitch. He's finding his pitch, and then he's going and attacking it, and he's finding a way to get on base, and he's finding a way to make sure that he hits for power along with contact. He's been fantastic. And so when you have that guy in your lineup, you build around him. But there is one thing that I was listening to yesterday that did frustrate me a little bit. Because when Dayton Moore was on with Fesco in the morning, he explained why Nicky Lopez is still down in AAA. And if you don't know who Nicky Lopez is, he's a second baseman for the Royals with the Omaha Storm Chasers right now, who's hitting 350 in AAA and is playing really good defense. He can play shortstop third base, second base. He can play all around the diamond. He's a really good player. He's a top prospect for him. And he's just kind of chilling down there. And I was curious, okay, Dayton, I'm curious what your explanation is. Why is Nicky Lopez still down in AAA? Here's what he told Fesco in the morning. When you bring a guy like him, as we shift gears to Nicky Lopez, you want him to come up here and play every day. And with knowing that we're going to go with Mondi at short, with Merrifield primarily at second base, some outfield, but primarily at second base, um, you needed a player like Nicky Lopez to really force your hand, you know, going forward. Because when he comes up, you want him to play every day. All right. So 
The place where I agree. We'll start there, and then we'll go to the place that I disagree. The place where I agree is that when Nicky Lopez comes up, he needs to play every day. That seems obvious to me. He's one of your top prospects. He's a guy that's been down in AAA. He's been hitting really well down there. He plays good defense. Nicky Lopez, when he comes up, needs to be playing every day. Totally agree with Dayton Moore on that. Where I get frustrated, and I said that I wouldn't allow the Royals to do this to me this year, but they've done it. They found a way. They found a way to make me upset. Where I get frustrated is I just don't follow this logic because I don't think it is consistent. And that's what bothers me. A lack of consistency is what bothers me. here. The Royals wanted Chris Owings to be their backup shortstop earlier in the year. That's fine. Okay, cool. They started him at second base in nine of the first 12 games of the season. So when they started him at second, Whit Merrifield moved to right field. So for nine of the first 12 games of the year, it was okay to play Chris Owings at second base and Whit Merrifield in right field. And now that we're 40 games into the year, roughly 39 today, 40 starting tomorrow, it is no longer okay for Whit Merrifield to play right field for Nicky Lopez. It was okay for Chris Owings to do it, but it's not okay for one of your top prospects who's hitting 375 down in AAA or 350 down in AAA rather to play second base. That's what I'm not following. And so I think there are two potential options here. Option number one is that they truly believe this and they believe that Whit Merrifield is their second base for the long term. And they believe that Hunter Dozier is their third baseman for the long term. And they believe that at shortstop at Alberto Mondesi is the answer in the long term. And they think those three spots are, they're full. They're filled. They have them internally filled for the next few years. Okay. That's fine. I would tend to disagree. I think Whit Merrifield could absolutely move to right field and it would be no issue for anybody involved, especially because you have no right fielder for the future. And you do seemingly have a second baseman that could come up and play that position well in Nicky Lopez. But that's just a disagreement. So that's fine. I could listen to that. If that's the case, though, if that is the Royals' understanding, if that is their thought process, that's not going to change. Like, when it comes to July, this isn't about when the Royals will call up Nicky Lopez. That is a situation of if the Royals are going to call up Nicky Lopez. And that becomes a completely different conversation of maybe we should start talking about Nicky as a guy that the Royals are going to trade and not bring up. But that's why I don't believe it. And that becomes option number two. The Royals are just saying this. Because they got to have an explanation as to why they haven't called up Nicky Lopez. And so the easiest explanation right now is that the Royals want to keep Whit Merrifield at second base. They don't want to move into right field. Maybe even Whit Merrifield doesn't want to move to right field. And he told the Royals, I would like to stay at second base this year. We're not any good. I think I'm best at second base. I'd like to win a gold glove there potentially. I'd like to spend this year at second even though I understand moving forward that we're going to be playing in right field more often, I want to spend this year at second base. That's fine. The Royals got a a cape for him. I get it. That's perfectly fine. And in that case, that would make sense as to why they're doing this the way that they are. It frustrates me. I don't totally agree with that assessment. I don't totally agree with that way of going about it. I think you can move Whit Merrifield to right field and say, listen, man, we signed you long-term. We gave you the money up front. We believe that you're part of our future, but we believe part of that future is in right field. We need you to do this for us, even if it is not your favorite place to play. I think that's the best way to handle this. And then you get Nicky Lopez at second base, and you're looking at your future infield right now. That's the way that I think they should handle it, but that's just a simple simple disagreement. I think those are the only two options, though. I think either A, 
The Royals truly believe this, and they think Whit Merrifield's their second baseman, and that means we should change the way that we're talking about Nicky Lopez. Or B, the Royals don't actually believe this, and moving forward, Nicky Lopez is going to be up. It's just a matter of when, not if. Coming up next, there's a surprising amount of buzz for this Chiefs rookie class, and it feels different than any class that I can remember other than when they had Patrick Mahomes. Why is that? We'll discuss it next. It is The Leadoff. I'm Brandon Kiley on 610 Sports Radio. The Leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is The Leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you weren't aware and you're tuning in on a Saturday for the first time in a while, well, first of all, welcome in. I'm Brandon Kiley. Like I said, we appreciate you tuning in on a Saturday morning. Coming up after me, it is Out of Bounds with Dusty Likens and Nick Price. They will take you from noon until 3. At 3 o'clock, it is overtime with Jillian and Chris. They will take you up until 5 o'clock, which is when we begin pregame coverage with Cody Tapp right here on 610 Sports Radio. We're live and local basically all day today. 10 a.m. to like 10 p.m. We are live and local right here on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. You're not going to find Chiefs, Royals, K-State, Mizzou, KU. You're not going to find any of that kind of kind of conversation anywhere else all day on a Saturday other than right here on 610 Sports Radio. So keep it locked with us. We will keep you live and local each and every Saturday beginning at 10 o'clock. So if you'd like to get involved in the show, the Protein I'll see you with the Purpose text line is 69306. You can always follow me on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. Matthew Caller of 1500 ESPN, I want to ask him what exactly it would take for the Chiefs to pry away one of the Vikings cornerbacks that's coming up in about 15 minutes. But right now, there's been a surprising amount of buzz about the Kansas City Chiefs draft picks this year. And not just draft picks, actually, I should I should clarify that statement. About the Kansas City Chiefs rookie class. Because I can't remember the last time we actually talked about undrafted free agents here in Kansas City. But they gave a receiver $100,000 in guaranteed money. Mark Fields, their cornerback that they got out of Clemson, who was an undrafted free agent, we were just told by Jim Nagy that he had his best coverage grade in the entire uh, southeastern area. So some of these guys are going to be legitimate contributors on the team next year. But really the players that are getting the most buzz for the Chiefs are the second-round pick, Juan Thornhill, a safety out of Virginia, third-round pick, Colin Saunders, the defensive tackle out of Western Illinois, and their seventh-round pick, the center, Nick Allegretti, out of Illinois. Let's go one by one here. So, Juan Thornhill, Lewis Riddick tweeted the other day that he's going to be the guy that we all say, looking back, quote, how did he get out of the first round? Okay, that sounds good. Jim Nagy told us earlier today he had teams around the league saying that he could have been a first-round pick, and then he said on Twitter recently he thought uh, Juan Thornhill is going to be the best center field safety that the Chiefs have had in a really long time. And then Lewis Riddick of ESPN went on get, get up the other day and said this. Remember these two names, Juan Thornhill and Tyron Matthew, as far as a safety tandem. You will see these guys picking off footballs all over the football field this year. I mean... That is legitimate buzz about your second-round pick right there in Juan Thornhill. People think he's going to be really good right away. But it didn't stop there. Coming out of rookie minicamp, there was a report. I'm reading this from Arrowhead Pride, Pete Sweeney, our guy, at PG Sweeney on Twitter. 
he said that the Chiefs legitimately believe that Nick Allegretti, their seventh-round pick, could become a starting center for the team this year. The team thinks Mecole Hardman could be a legitimate starter in week one for them. They think Colin Saunders is going to be a great rotational player on pass rushing situations for them in week one. This is the kind of thing that Brett Veach needed this offseason. Because when you're looking forward, when you're projecting this team forward, and you're looking at, okay, how do you find a way to sustain what the Chiefs are right now? How do you find a way to sustain this level of competitiveness with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback when he makes $40 million? It's hitting on seventh-round picks like Nick Allegretti and becoming a legitimate starting center for the next four years while you're paying him $500,000 a year. It's hitting on guys like Juan Thornhill in the second round and paying him $2 million a year to be one of the better free safeties in the game. It's going out and getting undrafted free agents. One of the corners, one of the receivers, one of those guys needs to hit for them. And if they do, that's the way that you find pieces on your 53-man roster for really cheap that can help you and be part of the bottom of the roster so that way you can sustain the fact that You've got guys like Frank Clark making $20 million a year. You're going to have Patrick Mahomes making $40 million a year. Chris Jones is going to get paid here pretty soon. And when that all starts to happen, now you've got to have the bottom of the roster start to churn. I found a really interesting yesterday. Um, I was reading on SB Nation, and they took a look at the 2013 Seahawks. 2013 Seahawks was the team that beat the Broncos in the Super Bowl. And at the time... They had the best defense in the league and one of the best defenses I've ever seen in my life. Five years later, it is five years removed from that team. Ben, you know how many players are still left from the starting lineup of the 2013, so the 2014 Super Bowl, the 2013 Seahawks? How many starters do you think are still remaining on that team today? Oh, you tell me. Three. That's it? There are three starters remaining from the 2013-2014 Seahawks Super Bowl team. It's Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and K.J. Wright. That's it. And so when you look at the Chiefs today, and specifically let's look at last year's roster, right? Last year the Chiefs were really close to making a Super Bowl. I think that was basically their version of the 2013 Seahawks. That was their version of that. Five years from now, it's not going to be as many players still remaining on this team as we think. Patrick Mahomes is always going to be the constant, just as Tom Brady is in New England, just as Russell Wilson is in Seattle. But outside of that, this roster is going to churn, man. You can't keep all these guys for the money that they get. You don't want to keep these guys late into their careers the way that the Chiefs tried to do with Justin Houston and Tom Bahali and Derek Johnson. We've seen how that works. It goes south quickly. And so these picks, when I'm seeing all this buzz for guys like Juan Thornhill and Colin Saunders and Nick Allegretti and Mark Fields, an undrafted free agent corner out of Clemson, that's where Brett Veach has to start making his money. Because when you have this roster churning the way that it's going to have to, you've got to be able to hit on those lower-level free agents, those lower-level draft picks. That's where you get a lot of the bargain bin, a lot of the value that you're going to have on your roster moving forward. Speaking of the Chiefs rookie class, there was a new comparison for Nicole Hardman that made its way out this week. We've been talking a lot about the comparisons for Mecole Hardman over the last few weeks here on uh, the leadoff. We heard this from Kent Swanson. He said he's Ted Ginn Jr. I gave him a Ted Ginn comp. So maybe a guy that 
is uh, he's got some vertical ability. He's got some special teams value, but maybe never develops as a complete route runner. That's kind of my outlook for a guy like Hardman. Ted Ginn Jr., that's one option. Matt Miller gave us a few comps as well. Matt Miller of Bleacher Report. We nicknamed him Scoot because every time we watched his film, Mello and I'd be like, like this dude's just scooting all over the field. Like, no one can no one can touch him. So I don't think he's Albert Wilson. Like I think it's more like Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton, Tyreek Hill, players like that. All right, so Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton, Tyreek Hill. That's the other comp for me, Cole Hardman. A little bit of buzz starting to build right here. For a second-round pick, me, Cole Hardman. We got a new one this week, and I love comps, so we're going to talk about it. Therese Paylor, in his article for Yahoo Sports, said, Me, Cole Hardman seems like the longer player than Tyreek Hill, someone who projects more like a Deshaun Jackson or Tyler Lockett at receiver than Tyreek. His combination of acceleration and speed is peerless. Speaking of Tyreek Hill, his combination of acceleration and speed is peerless. So the new name here, because we've heard Deshaun Jackson before, specifically because of the uh, the obvious similarity with Andy Reid as the coach, the new name here is Tyler Lockett. Now let me give you a little insight into what Tyler Lockett did his rookie year with the Seattle Seahawks. Tyler Lockett in year one, by the way, he wasn't a huge pick for the Seattle Seahawks. He was also, I believe, a third-round pick, 69th overall third-round pick in the 2015 draft. So... 2015 season, here's what Tyler Lockett did. I wonder how many of you in the audience would sign up for this right now from Mecole Hardman. 50 receptions, 650 yards, 6 touchdowns. 50 receptions, 650 yards, 6 touchdowns. That was the rookie year for Tyler Lockett. I looked up the speed comps. They're very similar in terms of Tyler Lockett versus Mecole Hardman. Now, the one thing that I will say as a disclaimer... Tyler Lockett, any K-State fan in our audience knows this, was hugely productive at K-State. Mequel Hardman, not hugely productive at Georgia. So maybe Tyler Lockett just came into the league more prepared, and maybe the long-term comp for Mequel Hardman is Tyler Lockett as opposed to the immediate. But if you're just telling me right now Mequel Hardman could turn into the career of Tyler Lockett and I get to sign up for 650, 600, 550, and 950 yards over the first four years of his career— Sign me up today. I'm in. Sign me up. Write it down. Write it in stone. Write it in ink. I want that from me, Cole Hardman. I'd sign up for that today. I understand that doesn't have the same upside as a guy like Brandon Cooks. That doesn't have the same upside as a guy like Tyreek Hill. I'd take it. I'd sign up for that today. And if you're getting that for the first four years at a rookie price, absolutely. Absolutely, that's what Chiefs fans should hope for. 650 yards, 50 receptions this year. Let me get that. Let, I will take that from me, Cole Hardman. Coming up next, Matthew Caller works for 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis. The Vikings have been seemingly connected with their entire roster to potentially be traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. What would it take to pry away Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes? We ask Matthew Caller next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you'd like to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well, at BK Sports Talk. We're going to talk about the Chiefs quarterback situation coming up in 10 minutes, but we're going to focus on that right now as well as we go out to the leadoff hotline. We're going to bring in Matthew Collar. He's the host of Score North Live on 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis. You can follow him on Twitter at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R. 
Matthew, how you doing this morning, man? I'm doing great, doing great. Anytime we can get a trade rumor in May, that's fantastic. (laughs) It's the best, right? All right, so we are officially talking about the entire Vikings roster, it seems like, here in Kansas City, because (laughs) obviously I don't need to break the news to you. The Vikings have some cap issues right now. They need to pay some people, and they don't have a whole lot of money to do it. So there have been rumors about Kyle Rudolph. I'll ask about him coming up here in a minute. But specifically the ones that the Chiefs have been talking about a lot, or Chiefs fans more specifically have been talking about a lot, are Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes. Let's start with this, Matthew. What is the situation right now with those two? Why, why are they seemingly available? Well, I think number one is clearly that the uh, Vikings don't have enough cap space to sign their first-round draft pick, Darrell Bradbury. They need about $2 billion in cap space or a little under that to even sign Bradbury to his contract. That seems important. Kind of a, 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 <laughs> yeah, that, that, right. That is kind of a big deal, especially with as bad as the Vikings' offensive line has been recently. So that's a number one. I don't think that they would be considering moving any of these players if it weren't for that. But then, you know, with both guys, with Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes, uh, there, there are situations uh, why you could see them wanting to move on. I mean, with Trey Waynes, he's been an average corner for the most part, but he hasn't really improved over the last couple of years and still has some of the same flaws he had early in his career. Does not look like they're going to sign him to a long-term contract extension. So you might look at that and say, well, you drafted Mike Hughes in the first round last year. It would make sense to have Mike Hughes take over that starting spot and get what you can for Trey Wayans as opposed to just letting him hit free agency next year. So there's that with him. On Xavier Rhodes, it's very interesting because last year he had a down year. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him something like 71st out of 77 qualifying cornerbacks. And I wouldn't say it was that bad from my perspective, but he committed a lot of penalties last year. He battled injuries throughout last season and just was not the same guy that he was in 2016 and 2017. And Mike Zimmer talked about at the owners' meetings how he needed to coach him up, he needed to get his technique back to where it used to be and things like that. But after that, Xavier Rhodes liked a bunch of tweets uh, saying that he needed to get out of Minnesota. So, you know, it seems like – there's a little bit of conflict there that I'm not sure Rhodes appreciated his head coach being so public with some of his issues. And, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Xavier Rhodes would welcome a trade to somewhere else at this point. We're talking with Matthew Collar. He's the host of Score North Live on 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis on Twitter as well, at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R. So I guess the obvious follow-up question here, Matthew, and it's impossible for us to know for sure, but out of curiosity... What do you think the asking price would be for Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes? Like in terms of draft pick compensation, what do you think Chiefs fans would be looking at if they were to be interested in trading for one of those two? Well, during draft day, the second round of the draft was uh, having all of us refreshing our Twitters and Adam Schefter's page constantly to see if someone would give the Vikings a second-round pick for any of these guys, for Waynes or Rhodes or uh, Kyle Rudolph, and it just doesn't seem like teams are interested in doing that, knowing that the Vikings are in a tough spot. I mean, that, that's, I think, what the holdup would be in terms of making a trade is that the Vikings want to try to get 
something like fair value, which I think for any of these players probably is a second-round pick. But at the same time, if you're Kansas City, why should we give you a second-round pick when you desperately need the cap space? And, oh, by the way, you know, Xavier Rhodes wasn't the same last year, so why should we give you that? And you know, I, I, I think that a second-round pick is probably fair, uh, but at the same time, if you're Mike Zimmer and defense has been your thing and you've gone through all this to get Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes to be, uh, you know, good players in the NFL and you've coached them up and Mike Zimmer used to be a cornerback coach, so that's kind of his baby. Like, you're going into that front office saying, don't trade my guy for a second round pick. We need him to win this year. And that's where the other thing about it is with the situation is, uh, even if you think that Mike Hughes is going to be a good corner, you don't know that. He hasn't gone to a Pro Bowl like Xavier Rhodes or been solid for years like Trey Wayne. So I, I would imagine that uh, out at the Vikings facility, there are some pretty hot debates between the head coach and the front office, with the front office knowing it makes a lot of sense to do something like this, but the head coach certainly doesn't want to take away from his defense. Final question on the corners before I want to ask you about Kyle Rudolph, the tight end who you mentioned previously. How realistic do you think it is? When, when, when all is said and done, are you anticipating that the Vikings are going to trade one of those guys? Yeah, I think I would probably give it like a 25 to 30% chance of that happening. I just, you know, over the last couple of years, Mike Zimmer has won most of the battles when it comes to personnel. And you even look, uh, you know, at this offseason and then bringing back Anthony Barr. Uh, for my money, bringing back Anthony Barr is just not a really wise choice uh, for a team that is so cap-strapped and has a quarterback that needs everything perfect around him to have great success. And then, you know, you bring back a linebacker at $13 million a year. It just really doesn't quite add up. But uh, Mike Zimmer loves Anthony Barr and feels like he's a linchpin. So you could see him standing on the table for bringing uh, Anthony Barr back. And I think the same thing will happen to keep these cornerbacks. And, and Mike Zimmer highly, highly values corners. He said it, I don't know how many times since I've been covering the team, that you can never have enough of them. So that would lead me to think that maybe if they're going to trade someone, it ends up being Kyle Rudolph instead of either Rose or Wayne. Interesting. So we're talking to Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis. Follow him on Twitter, at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R is how you spell his last name. So you bring up Kyle Rudolph. He became a hot commodity yesterday when it was reported by Ian Rappaport that the Vikings are now exploring all trade possibilities for Kyle Rudolph, the tight end of the Vikings. He's making about seven, eight million dollars this year. What do you think the realistic trade possibility is for him? And what kind of a player will a team be getting if they do trade for Kyle Rudolph? Well, you know, I think that uh, it is uh, very realistic that he could be traded not only because of uh, the fact that they drafted Irv Smith and uh, because of his contract situation where it seems that he is not interested in signing an extension, but also he has just not seemed like a happy man in Minnesota over the last year. I mean, uh, he and Kirk Cousins did not have a good relationship last year. He was extremely frustrated with the fact that Cousins would only throw it to him if he was wide open and did not use him in the red zone like previous Vikings quarterbacks have. And uh, you know, I think he wasn't happy with John D. Filippo. And, of course, you got a new offensive coordinator in Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak here as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean things will change considering who the quarterback is. Uh, so I think all those things are factors. He also looks at you know, next year and hitting free agency and, and says, how many tight ends per year who are actually proven hit the market? Very few, and they usually get overpaid. And look at what Jimmy Graham got from the Green Bay Packers. Why wouldn't you want to do that 
if you're Kyle Rudolph. So I could see from a number of perspectives why he would want out as well. And my understanding is that the draft pick of Irv Smith sent Kyle Rudolph through the, through the roof because he still sees himself as a Pro Bowl tight end and a, and a guy who's one of the better players at his position. I would say that he's one of the most reliable and consistently effective players in catching the ball, making contested catches, those types of things. In the NFL, he's not a game changer like you have there in Travis Kelsey, but when you throw him the ball, he's going to catch it. And when you look at um, his career in the pro football focus numbers, uh, I believe he has a 109 quarterback rating when targeted. Last year, Cousins completed 84% throwing to him. So that, I mean, you're getting a guy who's literally catching everything that you throw at him. But um, from everything that I've heard, he's not thrilled with the situation right now. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's his side that is pushing a potential trade. That's interesting. Okay, so the final question that I've got for you, Matthew, is do you think this is an either-or? Like, do, as, as the Vikings go, do you think it is an either they trade Kyle Rudolph or they trade one of the corners, or do you think it's possible that they trade both? Uh, I would be very surprised if they traded both. I mean, when you're a win-now team like the Vikings are because they signed Kirk Cousins to that big contract and went all-in, I mean, I, I don't think you want to be subtracting talent. I mean, I'm against them trading Kyle Rudolph, even if he's not happy. Why would you want to rely on a 21-year-old tight end uh, you know, to carry the load when you're trying to compete for a Super Bowl? I, I don't like that idea. I, I think if we were doing pie chart of trades, I would probably put something like 25% on trading Waynes or Rhodes, maybe another 25% on Kyle Rudolph. And then the other 50% is just that they find some other way. I mean, they have a swing tackle named Rashad Hill who's set to make $2 bucks. They could just cut him. It wouldn't be that big of a difference. And then sign Garrett Bradbury instead. So there are some other options. They could rework Riley Reeves' deal. They could rework Linval Joseph's deal. You know, so there are other potential options. I think they end up with pretty much the same roster they have now. But, you know, you never know. This team has done really shocking things in the past, like, trading for Randy Moss back from the New England Patriots. So I never put uh, anything out of the realm of the possibility with the Vikings. He's Matthew Collar. You can hear him on Score North Live on 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. He does great work following the Vikings at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R. Matthew, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. Okay. He said it right there. 25% chance, according to his odds, 25 to 30% chance that either Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes are traded. This is me entering freakout mode. We'll do that next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alfred on the other side of the glass. If you missed any of the show, the 610 Sports Podcast page is the place where you want to go. That will include Jim Nagy, the Senior Bowl director, who joined us earlier today and told us that Frank Clark would have been the best defensive end in this year's draft. Plus, Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis, who just told us this on the show. I, I think if we were doing pie chart of trades, I would probably put something like 25% on trading Waynes or Rhodes, maybe another 25% on Kyle Rudolph. And then the other 50% is just that they find some other way. I mean, they have a swing tackle named Rashad Hill 
who's set to make $2 million bucks. They could just cut him. It wouldn't be that big of a difference. And then find Garrett Bradbury instead. So there are some other options. They could rework Riley Reeves' deal. They could rework Linval Joseph's deal. You know, so there are other potential options. I think they end up with pretty much the same roster they have now. So that was Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis who covers the team. He's basically their uh, Vikings insider. He's like their Pete Sweeney, but he also does the radio stuff up there. He just told you 25 to 30% chance of the Vikings trading either Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes. Their, co- their coach loves the cornerback si- uh, cor- uh, situation. He's a defensive guy. He doesn't want to trade one of those two. He's probably going to try to influence the front office to not go that way. Maybe instead, this is why we heard that the, the rumors yesterday of the Vikings trading Kyle Rudolph, who would save them about $7 million if they were to do so. This is where things get really dicey for the Chiefs. And this was always the concern. It was always a possibility. This is where we are right now. The Chiefs cornerback situation is a potential fatal flaw. You don't like to hear that as a Chiefs fan. I totally understand. But last year, they were 31st in pass defense, and they have done nothing to upgrade the position. They upgraded safety. Tyron Matthew, very good. Juan Thornhill getting great reviews. Everybody seems to like those two. It really matters that you have bad corners right now. Traverius Ward is probably your second best cornerback on the team. That's not good. <laughs> that is not a good situation to be in when you're going into the draft or going into the regular season. So when I hear that there's a 25% chance of the Vikings trading Trey Waynes or Xavier Rhodes, it just makes me wonder, okay, all right. Are we prepared as a Chiefs collective fan base right now for this being the group that the Chiefs go into the regular season with? Like, it is entirely possible now, as we sit here on May 11th, that the Chiefs cornerbacks, at least the top three, maybe they get a cut, maybe they find a guy that's going to be on the street and he ends up being their 2020 version of Traverius Ward. But going into week one, are we all prepared mentally and physically and with our emotional well-beings being on the line for the Chiefs' starting quarterback situation being Charvarius Ward, Kendall Fuller, and Bashad Breeland. Because it's starting to sound like that may be the case. There aren't a whole lot of trade options out there. I thought Xavier Rhodes always made the most sense. I thought their cap situation was going to be a reason why it made sense from the Vikings' perspective as well. Sounds like they may have another plan. Maybe their plan is, hey, Kyle Rudolph, got to go. Our coach is a defensive guy. We're going to keep the defense intact. We're going to get rid of the the tight end when we just drafted a second rounder for that position. All right, that's fine. I believe the Chiefs in a bad situation, though. It means that the free agent corners last year, Tremaine Johnson, Malcolm Butler, Richard Sherman, Prince of Mukamara, Aaron Colvin, Mo Claiborne, DJ not a good group. The Chiefs probably are better off by not paying what it would have costed for Tremaine Johnson or Malcolm Butler by not going out and getting an over 30-year-old Richard Sherman, and then the other guys are just guys. This year's top free agent corners, Kareem Jackson, Bradley Roby, Steve Nelson, Pierre Desir, Ronald Darby, Justin Coleman, Bryce Callahan, Robert Alford. Nobody in there is a game changer for you at the cornerback position. You're probably better off by not having signed them for the price that they would have commanded The one that I would have said would have been a great fit here, and we said it at the time, was Ronald Darby, but the Chiefs brought him in for a visit. It seemed very clearly that they were interested in him, and they let him go back to Philly, and it seemed like it was a medical thing. 
I can't disagree with that. I've never seen the dude's medicals. Maybe he's not going to be ready this year. The cornerbacks that have been traded over the last two years include Aqib Tlaib. He was never coming here. He was on the Broncos. Jason McCourty, you can call that a miss, but the the leagues clearly didn't value him. He only got the Browns a sixth-round pick. He hadn't been playing very well for them. Demarius Randall wasn't good. Eli Apple wasn't good. That's the list of cornerbacks that have changed teams that were veterans over the last two years. And I say all of that to say this. This is not to excuse Brett Veach for the way that he has treated the cornerback situation. But it is to suggest that of the veterans that have traded changed teams, there haven't really been good ones. He hasn't had a good option among the veterans. If you wanted him to draft somebody, I'm right there with you. I would have loved to have seen that. I think that would have been the best case scenario for the Chiefs at the cornerback situation. But when we see Xavier Howard yesterday sign a big-time deal, today we talked with Matthew Collar, and he says 25-ish percent chance of the Chiefs being able to trade for Trey Waynes or Xavier Rhodes. And then yesterday I was listening to the Ringer NFL podcast, and they said this about the Chiefs' cornerback situation. Of the kind of – I mean, in order to do this, you look at the remaining holes that teams have. Is there a glaring team need that you're still really worried about, that you feel like for a contender – is something that could sink them. I think that, the, the, as we talked about many times on this show today, the Chiefs' secondary still worries me. Yeah, I think even going out and getting some pass rushers, we've seen how much importance you have to put on the coverage, even with a pass rush these days. And even with Tyron Matthew, who I love, mm-hmm. it just seems like they don't have enough talent in the secondary to feel good about where they are. I agree. And that was from the Ringer NFL podcast. That was Robert Mays talking about the Chiefs. He is a completely unbiased, neutral observer talking about what the Chiefs have at cornerback right now. Now listen, just kind of looking at the schedule, the Chiefs start out with Jacksonville. They don't have a bunch of receivers, but then they've got Oakland. I, who who right now on this team is going to cover Antonio Brown? Who's covering him? I don't have a good answer for you on that. They go to they 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 play Baltimore. That's not going to be a tough one for the the, the corners. Then they got Detroit. Who on this team is defending the receivers? For the Detroit Lions right now, Marvin Jones is really good. Kenny Galladay is really good. Who's defending that? Who, when the Chiefs take on the Indianapolis Colts, is defending those receivers? Who's defending DeAndre Hopkins? Who's defending um, when the Chiefs play against the Packers on Sunday Night Football right here in Kansas City? Who is going to defend Devontae Adams? Who's going to defend the Vikings receivers or the Chargers receivers or the Patriots whenever they come into town? I, this is the difficulty in looking at the Chiefs roster right now and calling them Super Bowl bound. I'm not saying they won't be. I'm saying that the Chiefs have a potentially fatal flaw on the roster right now. I thought that we had identified the solution to the problem because looking up in Minnesota, they had two corners that could potentially be available in Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes. And now I'm looking up in Minnesota and Matthew Collar, who lives and works in Minnesota and covers the Vikings, just told us 25, 30% chance of those guys being traded. 25 to 30%. That's that that is frightening. That that is a frightening concern because what happened last year with the Chiefs ultimately missing out on the guys that got traded or the guys that were going to be potentially available, it feels like it might happen again. And so now I am officially going to prepare myself emotionally for what it's going to be like to watch this group of cornerbacks going up against the rest of the AFC West and going up against the rest of the AFC. I don't think it's going to be good. 
But at some point this summer, here's what I'm going to do. I will predict what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk myself into the pass rush. I'm going to say, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore because they've got Tyron Matthew. They've got Juan Thornhill. They've got Frank Clark. They've got Chris Jones. There will be a time this summer where I end up like you guys. This comes from the 210 on uh, the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line, which is 69306. I think you forget how bad the safeties were last year. They are good, if not great, this year. I agree. The safeties should be really good for the Chiefs this year. The safeties should be a reason why the Chiefs' pass coverage is better in 2019. I would just argue that you also need cornerbacks. You also need really good corners. Look at the teams that played in the Super Bowl last year. Yes, the Patriots had Tom Brady. Yes, the Patriots have Bill Belichick, but they also had really good corners that they invested heavily in. What did the Rams do last offseason? Sure, they brought in Ndamukong Sue, but their biggest moves that they made last offseason were bringing in Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib. That's how they improved the cornerback position. The Saints, what did they do to make that defense better? They brought in Eli Apple at the deadline, But prior to that, they brought in Marcus Lattimore as their first-round pick, and it totally changed the defense when he became healthy. So you look around the league, you look at the teams that improved on defense, the way that a lot of them are doing it right now is by corner. The hope, the faith that you're putting into this team if you're a Chiefs fan right now is option one, they find a way to find that corner. Option number two, they find a way with this new scheme to be able to scheme up coverages better than they did in the past. 25 to 30% chance that Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes get traded. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's going to be a long year. We got a long time until week one. We got a lot to talk about before then. It's been a fun show today. Jim Nagy, the Senior Bowl director, joined us at 1030. If you missed it, you should certainly check that out on the podcast page. Matthew Caller of 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis was the one that told us 25 to 30% chance of Xavier Rhodes or Trey Waynes getting traded to Kansas City. So, I would find that on the podcast page as well. That's all available on 610sports.com. Coming up next, Nick Price and Dusty Dusty Likens. They've got out of bounds. They will take you up until 3 o'clock. We've got overtime with Jillian and Chris coming up from 3 to 5. And at 5 o'clock, we begin our Royals pregame coverage. It's live and local all day right here on this Saturday for you guys. Keep it tuned in on 610 Sports Radio.